I like hell for you every single day, like I've always done and always will. Welcome to this week's edition of New York Now. I'm David Lombardo, filling in for Dan Clark. Back in 2022, New York voters overwhelmingly approved a ballot measure authorizing the state to borrow $4.2 billion to spend on a variety of environmental issues. This year, state officials solicited input on how to spend the massive investment, with policymakers, advocates, and ordinary New Yorkers offering a wide range of ideas for the money. But the funds were approved with some initial guardrails, which shape where the money can be spent. For example, at least $1.1 billion needs to be spent to protect communities from flood risks, and up to $1.5 billion can go to reduce air pollution and fight climate change. For a status update on this initiative, as well as a review of some big renewable energy headlines from the state capitol, we're joined in the studio by Gwendolyn Craig of the Adirondack Explorer and the Times Union's Rick Carlin. So Gwen, I want to start with you. And as I mentioned in the intro, a year ago, New York voters approved a big environmental bond act. Fast forward to today, where do we stand in the process of dispersing this money? Um, well, we're sort of still at the beginning stages. There have been a few grant opportunities announced. Mm -hmm. um, April, we had a $425 million um, pot of money for water infrastructure. Only $200 million of that is from that $4.2 billion, so we're just getting started. Um, we also recently had an announcement that $100 million is available for this um, transition of school buses to zero emissions. Um, that's Governor Kathy Hochul's initiative um, that all school buses in New York State are sold, uh, that are sold um, have zero emissions by 2027, and all school buses on the road have to be zero emissions by 2035. So we're just starting to see some of these monies trickle in. Um, but really, we had uh, recently a 10-stop listening tour where mm -hmm. state officials went around and asked, how do you want this money to be spent? Provided a little bit of some of the criteria they're thinking about for divvying up this money. Um, for example, we know that there's a minimum of 35% of the funds have to go to disadvantaged communities with a goal of 40%. Uh, there's now a map online where you can see if you're in a disadvantaged community or not. There's not a lot in our region. It's very heavily focused on the New York City area and Western New York. Um, we do have one in the Adirondacks I've been looking at. but um, And then we also are that there's supposed to be a um, 10 year minimum for, for these projects to well, the lifespan of these projects. So, In terms of the benefits and how long they're experienced for, right? Right. And so, um, well, we're going to be seeing, I think, more funds rolling out, but um, I don't think we've yet heard anything being announced right. that something's been funded yet. So this isn't the first time the state has made a massive environmental spending investment like this. And you reported uh, on a last major one of these back in the 90s. What lessons, if any, can state officials learn from that experience? Yeah, so the last big environmental bond act New Yorkers, New Yorkers passed was $1.75 billion in 1996 mm -hmm. under Republican Governor George Pataki. Um, we, did a, we tried to find out how that money was spent, and we found that about 95% of it has been spent, but there's actually still monies left over. Okay. Um, as of last year, uh, there was 80 about 82 million, I would say, left. Um, during that, like between last year and this year, we've heard an announcement that a fish ladder is actually getting funded from that Bond Act funding um, in Plattsburgh at the Imperial Mills Dam. So 
we're still spending that. Um, I, I think what we also found was every state agency responsible for doling out these monies um, kept track of that in a different way and also had different records retentions. And so we were not able to get a blanket list of what was funded. Um, I think state officials have sort of acknowledged that and maybe tracking it a little bit differently going forward. Um, you know, we were able, you're going to have talk about state parks coming up. The state parks, recreation, and historic preservation had a beautiful list of exactly what was funded, what year, how much. Um, we could not get that from the State Department of Environmental Conservation. Um, Department of Health had no records to offer because they said it did not, it was beyond their records retention policy. <laughs> um, Department of Agriculture and Markets didn't have anything to share also for the same reason. So everybody's been doing it piecemeal. And I think going forward, we're hoping that there's a more collective effort to account for this. Um, and, you know, we, we also were asking the state comptroller's office if they'd ever done an audit of the 1996 Bond Act, and that hadn't been done either. So uh, we'll, we'll see how state officials address that going forward. Well, I want to turn to some other environmental news. And Rick, recently we heard from the state that it had tapped uh, two dozen new renewable energy projects as part mm -hmm. of our effort to build up our green energy capacity. The announcement, though, comes on the heels of state regulators uh, denying a request for mm -hmm. billions of additional dollars worth of subsidies to other renewable energy projects that the state uh, added to its portfolio right. years ago. This potentially, though, could jeopardize the state's green energy goals if these projects decide they're no longer really financially viable. What was the, I guess, uh, decision-making behind the, the PSC's decision, and what are the potential implications? Yeah. Earlier this yeah. month, the Public Service Commission, which regulates utility rates in New York State, they, they basically, they had gotten requests from, from several big offshore wind projects down on Long Island, as well as a slew of solar projects in, on land for large rate increases, mm -hmm. essentially. Basically, what they wanted to get guarantees that they would get more money for their wholesale power, which would be passed on to consumers. But the PS, they, were, they cited inflation, the inflation that we've had post-COVID, which, which is real. But the PSC denied it. They said, no, you, you've contracted for a certain amount. And, and they, they, they added up the total where they concluded that it would go from, the totality of these rates would go from 10 to $22 billion. So it would, be, it would more than double a significant the amount increase. that they're going to get for their, for their rates. So that they said no. Uh, even NYSERDA, which awarded the contracts, concluded that in some instances the wholesale prices could go up 64%. So they said no. This was a big blow to a lot of the big energy companies that are building, mostly a lot of Scandinavian companies mm -hmm. are building these big offshore wind arrays. Well, two Scandinavian companies. And they have since said that they are now going back and they're reconsidering whether they can move forward and complete these projects. They might drop out of, the, out of the projects and drop the projects. This would have a lot of effects throughout the state. Here in the Albany, New York area, there's a lot of plans to build the components for these projects at ports in Albany and, and Queemans, and then they barge them down the river to, to Long Island to build the projects. As a reaction, the state very quickly, in a way, they went into damage control. Right. They said, "Look, we're going to we're going to reopen the bids very quickly," and they're now saying uh, there was a, a actually there was a convention of uh, green energy people uh, yesterday, and they were talking about how the state is looking for input very quickly, 
and they're saying, okay, bid again, come back again with another set of bids that you think is more realistic. So they're, they're trying to keep this moving. But the reality is some of the people yesterday were saying this, this, is gonna, this, this could very well cause delays in, in, in how long it's going to take to get these wind projects online. And the more, the more you wait, the more expensive it becomes. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see what the new bids are. Uh, the state this week also, again, this might have been a little bit of damage control. Just this week they announced a whole other raft of projects that had been awarded. Mm -hmm. It was around uh, basically a solicitation for a number. They call it NY3, New York right. 3, the third round of wind projects. And they, they, they awarded those this week to, to a bunch of, of uh, producers. So they're moving ahead, albeit at a higher price and with some trepidation from the developers. Yeah, the industry seems to have some serious reservations about the state's actual commitment to this, because in addition to the decision from the state regulators of the PSC, we also had the governor vetoing some legislation that buried in it, had yeah. some parkland alienation that was really critical right. to uh, the development of some other projects. They need to run some uh, cables. Off the, Long Island, off the beaches on Long Island, yeah. I, I think what people are realizing is that the, these projects are very big, they're, they're very complex, and while they are green, green energy, they're going to have environmental impacts of their own. Um, one of the concerns along the Hudson River now is uh, the Coast Guard recently changed its rules hmm. over the summer that in a way that the environmentalists believe will allow them to park their barges at certain spots along the Hudson near Kingston and Newburgh. That, that hasn't been the case, and, and there's gonna be a need for these, this barge traffic to support the wind industry. So there's, there's people along the Hudson River who are worried about the, the growth of the ports and the barge traffic along the Hudson. There's people on Long Island who are worried about what's going to happen to their beaches as they run the, the cables onto land. Uh, I, I've done stories, and we've all seen stories about people in, in some of the uh, sort of the, the areas of the Hudson Valley and Columbia County where there's a lot of second homeowners who are fighting uh, solar yep. farms because they think it's going to uh, damage the views and the, the bucolic nature of, of the area. So it's, it's, it's a big lift, right. th this, this transition to green energy, especially in areas of, of high population. Well, in other renewable energy news, uh, Gwen, the state is looking to rehab former industrial sites and have them find second life as the homes for renewable energy. Uh, in St. Lawrence County, they're developing one of these so-called Build Ready projects. Uh, we've got a couple minutes left. Can you tell us about what's envisioned there and, and how uh, the current pitch compares to what was originally built for these sites? Right, so um, the Adirondack Park has a few very rare industrially zoned areas, and they've this Build Ready program is essentially um, the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority going out and getting all, the, collecting all the permits, doing all the legwork um, to get a site ready for a developer. So the developer will will purchase an LLC that NYSERDA has created mm -hmm. and just get the solar panels up. And so this is at Benson Mines. It's a former iron ore mine in the Adirondacks, and it will be on the mine tailings pile. It's really not been a controversial project when it was announced a few years ago, a couple years ago. Um, but it was announced at 20 megawatts um, when we heard the state just earlier, a couple weeks ago, say they're going out to bid for this project. It's now down to 12 megawatts. Um, I asked why, and the answer was, well, we found it was it was a little more expensive to upgrade the grid, and it wasn't local, 
grid upgrades, and we are concerned about the timeline and the expense of that. So we've we've brought it down to 12. The developer should purchase it, could still make it 20. All the permits are there for 20, but they would be responsible for those whatever, how much it would cost to upgrade right. the grid. So um, it was announced as the largest solar project in the Adirondack Park. It's not anymore. Um, there's other ones being proposed that are 20 and 40. Um, so we're also at, at 12 uh, megawatts. That's about, that's less than a quarter percent of the state's solar goals of 6,000 megawatts by 2025. So. Um, very, very small, but it is the chance for the state to try this idea of doing all the legwork and seeing if developers can come right in. And yeah. it's, it's interesting about the grid. That's a really key part of the whole green transition. That yeah. a lot of the overall, the, the need for power is in New York City. There's a lot of solar farms upstate where there's there's land. Right. But how do you get it down there's there? There's a lack of the transmission line capacity to get them down there, and they need, they really need to build up these transmission lines, which is a whole other ball of wax. And unfortunately, we'll have to talk about that on another show. We've been speaking with the Times Union's Rick Carlin and the Adirondack Explorer's Gwen Craig. Thanks so much. And now we're gonna turn our attention to the state park system, which is celebrating its 100th birthday next year. To commemorate the anniversary, the state is launching a centennial challenge in 2024 which includes admission discounts and new activities designed to attract visitors to parks all over the Empire State. In advance of the special celebration, Eric Kulisade, the Commissioner for the State Office of Parks, Recreation and Historic Preservation, has been traveling all over New York to promote the state system, and he recently sat down with us in the studio. Well, thanks so much for making the time, Commissioner. So 2024 marks the 100th anniversary of the founding of the state park system. Can you take us back to history in uh, 1924 and the origin of the creation of the park system with a $15 million investment under then Governor uh, Alfred E. Smith? Uh, take you back in history. So 1924 was the seminal year. Uh, it was the year of the State Parks Act passed in April. Uh, and that was an act that took what was a sort of collection of, of parks, state-owned around the state, you know, Niagara Falls goes back to the 1880s. Letchworth Park goes back to the early 20th century. Thatcher Park in this area goes back to, to uh, 1913. But in, uh, in 1924, the State Parks Act was, was, was passed, and it brought together all those disparate regional efforts that were really being run by private philanthropy under a single umbrella, the State Parks. Uh, came along with a $15 million uh, bond act uh, to help build it out. Uh, $15 million doesn't seem like a lot today, but I think it was quite a good, a healthy sum back then. And what it lost was a period of incredible growth um, and expansion of the mandate of parks, right? Parks until that moment had really been as much as anything focused on preserving those special scenic places, Niagara Falls, Letchworth Gorge, Thatcher, those singular landscapes, singular vistas, singular uh, items that really didn't get anywhere else. And um, in that year, uh, so and from that period forward, there was began to be a focus on recreation. You know, New York was booming then, burgeoning cities, teeming cities, and it needed places to provide recreation for the working class. And so you have a lot of expansion into the beaches, the Jones beaches, a lot of those ocean beaches come into play then. A lot of the work at uh, Harriman and the Hudson Valley, these places where you have big destination for beaches and recreation started to come into play in the next 10 years. 55 parks over the next 10 years open. Uh, so it's, a, it's an important year, not just for the, the collection, but also sort of a, a, a change in approach and an expansion of the mandate and uh, breadth of what they were trying to achieve. 
And fast forwarding to recent years, how has the park system tried to live up to that initial mandate? Uh, you know, have we been building more parks? Have we been trying to create new recreation opportunities? How do you see your job today uh, manifesting that original 1924 mandate? So that 1920, so after that, after that year, so like I said, and actually during the 30s, the WPA, the Civilian Conservation Corps, again, um, a lot of those people put to work, put to work in parks, right, to, to build out parks. That continued into the 50s and 60s. You saw sort of the Great Society. You had a lot of federal dollars start coming in in the, in the 60s, you know, under the Land and Water Conservation Fund. It allowed continued expansion. But then you really began to see at the end of the 20th century Continued expansion here and there as, 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 it, as it came up, but, but you ran into a real disinvestment in the infrastructure, right? And you see pools closing, you see um, more than one lake beaches closing, yet there was a lack of investment, uh, and it wasn't until the last 15 years that that really almost 40-year backlog of, of disinvestment has started to be addressed. And so right now, you know, we are, we've been very fortunate. Um, uh, you know, so, so I should say, so during the Pataki administration, there's a huge expansion of our park system. I think we expanded by some nearly 10% during that period, just to your acreage and new parks and new areas. Um, but in the last 15 years, we've, we've been blessed with um, increased capital. We're still not there yet. We're still level setting what the right level of capital is to take care of this dramatic system, 5,000 buildings, thousands of miles of trails, really 36 golf courses, pools, you know, really a huge portfolio of recreational infrastructure. So right now, sort of looking forward, um, we are uh, focusing on, okay, let's make sure that we are taking care of what we have, right? So we are going back into those places where there's still closed facilities. We still have closed mm -hmm. pools, closed beaches. You know, Lake Sebago down in the Harriman, uh, in Harriman State Park, which is outside New York City, is a beach that we closed in 2011 due to a tropical storm, Irene and Lee, and, right. we, and we've not been able to reopen because we didn't have the capital. So we're going back into those places. Uh, we are also, we do expand. Uh, Governor Hochul herself opened a new park in Kingston at an old quarry. It's Sojourner Truth State Park uh, that we are, uh, it's a lovely, um, it's actually a beautiful landscape despite the kind of its industrial past. It used mm. to be a quarry. It's a lovely place. The Empire State Trail runs through it. We're looking at possible swimming opportunities and quarry lakes and things like that there. Uh, and then we're also thinking about how are we going to be in the future, right? We have this century. What's the next century going to be about? Climate change, equity, diversity, all those kinds of things. So we've got we have we are the largest shore, uh, shoreline owner in the state of New York. And so you know you look at those beaches, those barrier islands off the South Shore of Long Island. Those are a lot of our parks. So we've got a plan for the future of sea level rise, uh, storm water. You know, just this summer. Uh, Bear Mountain in the Hudson Valley, very right. popular park in the Hudson Valley, was closed for three months because of a storm that ripped through in July, right? It was not a tropical storm. It was just a, eight inches of rain over a very short period that washed a whole lot of the hillside down into the park, closed down our water system. So that was closed most of the summer. So we've got to address climate change. Uh, and then, you know, as, as facilities come, come available, you know, we, we need to expand. And I think that, you know, the whole system was developed with not a big urban footprint, um, and, and, and there's opportunities for us. Sojourner Truth in the city of Kingston. Right. Uh, High Falls, which is uh, on the Genesee Gorge in Rochester, is one of those places we're looking at uh, where, 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 the, where there's an effort to create a state park there. So I think there's an opportunity for us to fill out the portfolio, right, and be in uh, some of the major cities around the state, too. So looking ahead to 2024, which is, as we mentioned, the centennial anniversary yeah. for the state park system, what are you looking to do to celebrate uh, the state park birthday? 
So, you know, um, we, we kicked it off this summer. This summer I did a two-day tour of, of 10 stops in two days, uh, ran around the state uh, uh, being a little bit silly, but had a totally good time uh, showing the breadth and scope of what our state park system is to sort of build momentum. Uh, next year we'll have a state park challenge, uh, you know, 24, you, you, you'll give a, we'll give you a list of 100 parks, 100 destinations across the system and people can get a little piece of paper and check off where they've gone and get a sort of prize at the end of the at the end of the summer uh, you know we're, we're encouraging people to try a park they've never been to try a re try a region of parks that they've never been to uh roll in more visitation all with a view to um celebrating that legacy because i i you know I, i'm biased obviously but i think our state park system is uh unparalleled i think it's you know we own all the best places that new york uh offers, right, in terms of natural landscapes and, and recreational landscapes. So it's a chance to celebrate that, uh, get uh, help bolster our, our, our advocacy or, and our, our goals for having more capital, being continue to rebuild the system and put it at a level where it should be uh, to enhance that visitor experience and just to, and actually also to celebrate the past, you know, to we're actually going to start sort of a share your story sort of um, uh, on our website where you can where people will be able to go in, upload materials, tell their stories, tell how the state park system is, has enhanced their lives, right? So there's a lot of fun stuff that serves to just remind people how special the New York state park system and how exceptional, unique, singular this state park system is. Well, in addition to getting people to try out new parks for the first time, is part of that effort going to be engaging people who might not even be cognizant of the parks that are in their neighborhood or that are accessible to them through maybe a short drive or subway ride? Totally. I mean, I think we, 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 we want people, you know, we are always looking to expand our audience. And, and that's done through, you know, we, we need to make sure we reflect and there's, there's a lot of aspects of that. There's staffing, right? We need to make sure our staff reflects the population that comes to visit. We need to be advertising in the right areas. We need to, you know, there's obviously a huge uh, Spanish-speaking population that we need to reach in the New York area, uh, particular to get them out into the parks. We need to reduce those barriers to entry in many ways. I mean, I think that, you know, you or I or many people know how to access a trail, know what a trail map means, but we mm -hmm. need to sort of make, make it easy for people to get out there. Yeah, so it's it's continuing to offer language services uh, so that people can come into the parks and make their own experience, right? And not, and not everybody, not every culture, not every, every ethnicity enjoys parks the same way. And so we also have to be flexible and, and, and let people come in and enjoy nature the way they like to. Well, assuming you do have an uptick in visitation in 2024, how many uh, additional park police or additional resources will you need to ensure that everything goes smoothly? So um, our, we have a great park police force. They've been in place since the, the 1880s, the oldest uh, police force in the country, or the oldest park police force, I should say. Uh, they've been great partners. Uh, they, you know, they are really expert at, it's amazing what they get done with pretty lean staffing. We will build them as necessary. There's no question we are expanding them now. Uh, they, they suffered, they, there was a, there was a, a, their, their future was in question for a while they're under the Cuomo administration, but now they are back and growing again. So we're building the park police force. Uh, and we also do a lot of partnering. We partner with state police, with local police. You'd be surprised at the number of, of partnerships they have because it's a pretty far-flung system, right? And you need, so we need to have uh, partners in policing our, our parks, and, and uh, I think we, we do a great job of that. And in terms of resources for the park system, I know the budget director recently put out a letter encouraging agencies and offices, including your own, to maintain a flat funding this year. But are there exceptions for, say, one-time expenses for something like a 100th birthday party? 
So you're right, right? We have a flat budget, and that's customary for government, right? Government, government has to be um, has to be lean and 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 efficient. But yes, in in the, in the budget letter, there's a call for uh, one-time investments, and it's a perfect opportunity and, I, and to to put in some of these capital projects. And I'm looking at those projects. You know, uh, we're not looking to expand dramatically. Like I said, sort of earlier, we are still um, rebuilding and bringing back online assets that have been taken offline, right? So this is a matter of sort of restoring the system. It's not just about, I mean, there's certainly, you know, Sojourner Truth is a new park, but by and large, this is a lot of effort to continue rebuilding a park system that was underinvested in for, you know, nearly 50 years. You mentioned your visits to the state parks in 2023, this whirlwind tour you went on, which by my account uh, included some swimming, bike riding, going on a zip line, paddling a kayak, descending into caves, and much more. So my question is, and this is an HR question, this isn't me, do you have to put in like a vacation request for these trips or does this count as work for you? <laughs> you also forgot shooting the cannon off at Old Fort Niagara. Um, vacation, you know, uh, I am very fortunate to have one of the greatest jobs around, right? Because my job is to be in the parks, mm -hmm. uh, to be promoting the parks. There's nothing I like to do uh, more than that. Uh, so uh, uh, I, I work hard. Um, but, you know, it almost sometimes it doesn't feel like work. And is there any thought to maybe going uh, to Bethpage Black and shooting around with your favorite radio and TV host? Maybe he <laughs> shoots 100. Uh, I think that would be a great way to celebrate 2024 as well. Uh, I would ha be happy to take you out to Bethpage Black. I would be a disaster on that course, uh, not being a golfer myself, but I look forward to uh, watching you tee off. Well, we've been speaking with New York State Parks, Recreation, and Historic Preservation Commissioner Eric Kulisade. Eric, thank you so much for making the time. And thanks for having me. And for more on the 100th anniversary of the state park system, visit parks.ny.gov 100. And that's going to do it for this episode of New York Now. If you missed any of today's program or want to revisit past episodes or explore our web extras, check out nynow.org. From all of us at WMHT, I'm David Lombardo. Thanks for watching this week's edition of New York Now. Funding for New York Now is provided by WNET and by the New York State Education Department.